Welcome back to Healing Choices, conversations on addiction and recovery. The shocking events of the past few months, from COVID-19 to the devastating economic collapse to the police brutality and ensuing protests, will lead to an increase in trauma across our community and the United States. Because of the way trauma affects the brain, people who have experienced trauma are three times more likely to develop a substance use disorder, which is why many of the people who come to us for help have past trauma. In this episode, Lori Feaster and John O'Neill meet virtually to talk about the connection between today's events, trauma, and addiction, and how we help people to overcome trauma and embrace healthy ways of coping. Welcome. Thank you for attending this podcast or listening to this podcast. I'm Lori Feaster. I'm the clinical director at the Center for Recovering Families at the Council on Recovery. And today I have a very special guest, John O'Neill from Minnegar. John, tell me a little bit about you. Well, hey, Lori, thanks for having me. Appreciate the invite today. Um, I work at the Minnegar Clinic. I work in the outpatient uh, department, and I'm the clinical director um, for our Bel Air location. I work a lot with people with substance issues, uh, as well as families and couples and so on. Well, I'm so glad you're here with me. And and our paths have crossed throughout the years, and both of us have some things in common, especially with treating uh, what we're talking about today, and that is um, trauma and addiction. And so, you know, uh, we see this probably every day, but not the, you know, the general public doesn't necessarily have all the uh, opportunity of getting the information that we get. So I'm just kind of wanting to pick your brain if that's okay. Sure. Sounds good. Yeah. So when you think about um, trauma, what do you, where do you think it comes from? What do you think it is? Kind of help us understand. Well, I mean, trauma is incredibly complicated. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I think of when I think of trauma is that each person has a unique experience with what is traumatic to them. And I think sometimes we have to be careful to not kind of label what is or isn't trauma based on our own experiences. You right. know, that, I, that doesn't sound very traumatic to me, but to somebody else, that could be incredibly traumatic. Um, right. losing, losing a pet could be devastating to one person and less devastating to another. So I think we always have to understand trauma in the context of that person, what they're yeah. experiencing. I mean, we're, we're living in an interesting time where there's a lot going on, whether it's COVID, the unrest, protests, social justice needs, um, rights, all kinds of issues that are happening. And for some people, that's incredibly traumatic and painful. And, and it invokes fear and anxiety and uncertainty and everything else. And for others, they're kind of like, oh, it's whatever, it's no big deal, it's no problem, it's this and that, and they have different takes. And so for each of each people, each of the, the different people, they're going to have a different reaction. And sometimes it is a traumatic reaction, and sometimes it isn't. So I also want to be careful to not always label things as traumatic, because we actually could create trauma when we say to somebody, hey, you know, that sounds really, really terrible, really traumatic. And the mm-hmm. person's like, uh okay, I didn't really think about it like that, right? So we have to be careful um, to not make something into something it isn't for someone else. And I'd I'd probably piggyback on that as well because the trauma is really not necessarily even about the incident. It's about the overwhelm in our system Mm -hmm. um, and what happens when we're receiving all this information uh, through our eyes, our ears, maybe even our felt sense. 
um, that some of us don't take it in the same way as others and thus aren't impacted by what we may see as traumatic. I mean, I talk about Hurricane Harvey often because that was one of the one probably the, the time that I was most impacted by um, something that I wouldn't have ever thought uh, that I would be. So it's so interesting. And I think, you know, for that, the community was probably impacted in many different ways and maybe not traumatically, but there, we all had something to do with it. Just like today, um, we, we know that COVID's here. We know there is unrest. We know that there is racism and unjustness. And so that's a lot of stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, without a doubt, without a doubt. And I mean, that's one of the struggles with trauma is that we accumulate it over a year, over years and years. And so for those of us that have gone through hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, I mean, heck in Houston alone, how many floods have we had? Right. right? And, and some of us can remember back to Allison, you know, right. the tropical storm that hit us all really hard and, and hit some of our homes and our offices and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so, and then we, we run into things like just basic safety, terrorism, 9-11, Oklahoma City before that. I mean, all of those things shake our foundation of safety mm-hmm. because trauma makes it seem and feel like we're not safe. Right. And we're not. And you ask the question kind of where does it come from? For so many of us, it comes from our early childhood development where mm-hmm. we didn't necessarily feel safe in our homes. Not always. I mean, we can have new traumas, but our ability to manage stress and trauma comes from how we were raised, how we. Yeah managed our relationships with our families. And if you're in a family of an alcoholic or a substance user, that's going to make it difficult for you to feel safe and to feel secure. And so then, go ahead, go ahead. I'm I'm sorry. Well, even not only with the substance, but mental health and or those that have had trauma themselves. That's right. That's right. So it all accumulates, it all builds. And then you just add layer upon layer upon layer. And then you don't necessarily know how to cope. And that's where, for so many people, they use substances to cope. Right, right. right? It's like, it's just too much. You know what would help? A 12-pack of beer. You know what would help? Right. An entire bottle of wine, six joints, or a trippy stick, or whatever people are doing, or mm-hmm. popping a bunch of pills. All right. of that stuff will give somebody the relief they're looking for. And I'm not advocating, and I'm saying that's what people do, right? And you have to be careful when that trauma starts to build to not find yourself using substances to manage. So when I think about that, I know that addiction is a brain disease. So how does that, you know, even our brains are altered with addiction, but how does trauma alter our brain in that way? Is, is this something that impacts our brain? Well, we know it does. And we absolutely mm-hmm. know that it does. We know that the amygdala is impacted. We know that the hippocampus is is impacted, the prefrontal cortex, all of the different aspects of the brain related to how we process um, information, how we feel safe, how we manage emotions, how we remember things, how how we collect data, all of that. All of those areas are impacted the more we're exposed to stress. And I mean, we can all relate to that just by thinking about the last time we were under a lot of stress and how we didn't think clearly. Mm-hmm. We were under a lot of stress and maybe we didn't function very well. Um, maybe we retreated. Well, imagine that is what you're experiencing all the time for days, weeks, months, years, and it accumulates and your brain doesn't work as well as it should. 
The good news though, is that we know the brain is incredibly resilient and we know that people over time heal and the brain heals. Right. And so we know trauma impacts the brain, but we also know that healing from trauma heals the brain. Right. Right. We just don't want to double up the brain issues and the brain injuries through adding in substances or other addictive behaviors, which also impact the brain, because then you get the double whammy that your brain's really getting hit from both ends. Yes, and part of, to me, it seems that this is usually the underbelly of addiction in the sense that I don't know many clients that haven't had some sort of trauma, whether they called it trauma or not. There's been something that, you know, that they haven't necessarily delved into because they're just in that survival mode in that midbrain where we fight flight freeze mode for a duration of their life. And then there comes a time when they're having to really look at how to stay sober and these things keep hitting them. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, So you talked about the amygdala and all those wonderful parts. Can you talk a little bit about how, the processes work from, you know, when we are in that fight, flight, freeze, and what brings us back to that prefrontal cortex? So what brings us back into a healthy? Yeah, or just just even to presence, you know, into the present day, you know, I, I, let's say I'm, for me, I'd say, okay, the trigger is rain from Harvey, <laughs> or bad thunderstorms. Um, what, you know, I know that I'm stuck in that, um, limbic part because I'm fight flooding or freezing and probably in my situation I'd be frozen. So mm-hmm. how would I get out of that frozen part back to where I can get to thinking of things? You mentioned that earlier is that we're not thinking. Um, right. Well, the most amazing thing that we can do is actually to recognize the mode that we're in. When we have awareness and we recognize that we're in this state, we're, we're able to actually do something about it. Because a lot of times when we're in a trauma state, we end up operating without really thinking. Um, we, are, we are searching for relief from that pain and we end up going and doing things or experiencing things without really thinking it through because we're not necessarily in control of how our brain is functioning at that moment. So having the awareness that you're in that mode, in this mode to freeze or in this mode to, to flee or you're in this mode to just collapse, allowing yourself and having some empathy, some kind of self-compassion work, right? Mm -hmm. That I, it's okay. All right. This is where the reassurance piece needs to come in. That starts from ourself. I can Mm -hmm. get through this. I can manage, I can cope. I can reach out for help. I can use support. I can handle this. And so we need to have some of those messaging, some of that messaging on board to help us get through this. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is, is that our messaging tends at times to go the other direction. I'm going to die. This is terrible. The world's yeah. coming to an end. Everything is awful. I'm not going to make it. And then our brain goes, oh my God, I mean, and then everything yeah. collapses. So we have to have that awareness and then we have to change the messaging. I can get through this. I can handle this. I will reach out. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to use help. And then the, and when we're in that mode, we have to let ourselves use support. We right. need help. We need support. We need to engage our support and let someone reassure us and let someone say it's okay and let someone say, I'll be there for you. And we can't isolate. One of my biggest concerns when it comes to trauma right now today as we live in this environment is the isolation piece. 
mm -hmm. people that aren't able to connect in the way they used to people that are in recovery programs that are in 12-step programs or smart recovery or celebrate recovery or whatever it is and they're unable to get to those meetings and they're trying to use online and and it is okay to some degree but it's not the fellowship that they were used to Right. Or the people that use spirituality and use the camaraderie and the churches and their spiritual peace to stay sober or to manage trauma or to manage pain, and they aren't able to get that. They aren't, they're used to their Wednesday Bible studies with people, and it's not just about scripture and all that. It's about the whole experience. And so that concerns me. There's been a few studies already out talking about isolation as it relates to trauma, as it relates to depression, as it relates to substance use. And isolation is a co is a, a very consistent variable that leads us to not feeling great, for lack of a better clinical term. But <laughs> it is not something that helps us feel great is isolation. So what we ever whatever we can do to feel more connected, you know, this whole social distancing piece. I mean, I think most of us like physical distancing better um, as a term because you know, we need to socially be connected to people. Mm -hmm. And trauma heals when we have the supports and we have connections with relationships and we can heal our attachments. And we feel, you know, I always have to bring attachment in, you know, me and my attachments. But, you know, it's really important that we feel connected and we feel safe with yeah. people. Right. And I think that is the biggest challenge. While we can find ways of connecting via internet, like we're doing at this very moment in time, and and thank you for that, right? Uh, we have that piece as opposed to not doing it um, and not having that availability. Um, it's it's a real struggle to find ways of, of finding that piece. And you know, I heard in the early times when we started the quote lockdown that there were the underground AA meetings where people were still meeting because that was so important. Um, and while that scared me for them, it was like, that's what they needed to do. And so finding those things, um, I asked that question because I know, you know, I know how I took care of myself, but I also had lots of good help around me. Um, and not everybody gets to get that good help for reason, one reason or another It's not available. They can't afford it, whatever that is. And, um, or they, they haven't asked yet. Um, part of finding that social connection or just even a connection to that being is is really our main differentiation of, of how we're human. And so um, I utilize um, more of the somatic way as far as uh, getting in touch back in touch with my body, which a lot of folks, you know, don't have that skill because they're so used to being numb from the pain, from the stress, from the trauma. Um, and, and they've been numbing it through behaviors or substances. Um, but it's a really challenge to find ways of coming back to our body, um, even having the alertness, uh-oh, I'm activated from that trauma. Um, here goes that anxiety, here's that pain in the chest, here's that tightness here, why am I not breathing? Um, so one of the things that I've been utilizing throughout uh, this time is helping clients kind of get grounded and really uh, begin that uh, exploration with um, being able to identify the different parts of their body and if there's any uh, pain or tension or blocks or whatever that is. And it, that has been a, a heck of a challenge too, um, since this is not a, a, a common practice. Yeah, no, I think that's, Lori, that's wonderful. 
I mean, I think that's spot on, you know, getting people to a place where they can feel grounded and they can start to recognize what's going on with their body. What, what am I feeling? Why is my stomach hurting? Why does my head hurt all the time? You know, what is happening? And then allowing them to, again, feel okay with that. Mm-hmm. That this is, because I think sometimes we panic because we can't normalize things. Mm-hmm. That we, we, we tell ourselves that what we're experiencing, you know, is, is abnormal and that we shouldn't be experiencing it. And then we panic because then we tell ourselves we should feel a different way. And maybe we just need to recognize and be okay with, we're not going to feel good right now. Right. That it's really hard to feel good right now. It's really, I mean, I'd love to, to, to say, yes, we should all just make the best of it and be thankful and have gratitude and, and be humble. But this sucks. <laughs> this is not fun. This is not fun. And it's not fun being away from people we care about. It's not fun being, you know, unable to do the things that we are, are used to doing. And it, compounds the struggles that any of us already have and so it's not fun and it's okay to say that and it's all right to mourn things Mm -hmm. it's not like i mean i I, many of us keep doing this that's like well you know this is canceled and that's canceled and then we try to have humility and go well you know at least we're alive and we're breathing and all of that and that's true at the same time it's still painful to lose things that you were looking forward to whether it was Mm -hmm. trips or vacations or movies or concerts or whatever else all of that stuff is part of our self-care. All of that's what keeps us going. And it's all gone for a lot of us. And it's, it's like, so you're sitting here going, wow, not only have we lost all this, but now we've lost these things. And then you compound that with what's happening in the world aside from COVID. And it's like, you see the pain and the anguish and the anger and the sadness and all the things that you want to do. And then you have to hear people talk about their opinions of right and wrong and indifferent. And all of that can be traumatizing in itself, right? And then you want to do something about it and you don't always have a place for it to go. Or if you do go out and do something about it, people will criticize you. So it's not like, you know, you can't, you can't win. Or you might even put yourself at risk by going out. I mean, there's, you know, there's that too. It's a really difficult situation. And 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 it reminded me of something, you know, one I learned back when I worked briefly for the Department of Public Safety, dealing with um, crisis after crisis, is that those that were going through that, what they were feeling was really normal for an abnormal time. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening today, um, is the, the things that we feel about all of what's happening, like the grief, the mourning, the sadness, um, the anger is a really appropriate feeling for what's here today. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's not what's wrong. And I, I love that when people go, you know, you look different, they think, what's wrong? Well, nothing really. It's not wrong to have these feelings. It's, it's just is. And it, it's because of what's happening in, in our society and in our life today is why they're there. Mm-hmm. I don't want to make it that because I'm having an issue with sadness or mourning that it's a wrong feeling. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Well, you're right. We, we traumatize ourselves by telling us that what we're experiencing is abnormal. Mm-hmm. And anybody that's worked in crisis services knows exactly what you said is right. And that is it. These are normal reactions to abnormal situations. Yeah. Normal reactions to a bank robbery. Normal reactions to seeing a violent crime normal reactions to hurricanes, tornadoes, flooding, violence, 
terrorism, social unrest, a, a disease that we don't know what to do with. I mean, these are normal feelings and normal reactions. And right. your point is, is I think, perfect. We, we have to embrace that. It's what we're, we should be feeling. It's when we avoid that, we get into trouble. Yes. And so that, that kind of moves me into that about PTSD, post-traumatic stress syndrome. Um, what, do you, what do you see about that in the sense of how would, we, how would the regular person know that that's what's going on for them? Yeah. Well, I think we have to be careful with the term PTSD. Okay. I think that what we do sometimes is we try to put things into a category of PTSD, which mm -hmm. high, raises the level, raises the bar to a place where people really then become kind of panicky about it. Oh my gosh, I have PTSD. I mean, PTSD is about repetitive. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a repetitive component to it that you've experienced something. That's not to say that people aren't going to experience PTSD. They are, but not everybody. And right. so you want to be careful to not kind of go there directly. And mm -hmm. so kind of like we have trauma. Oh my gosh, you must have PTSD, right? Because when right. you hear trauma, and then you hear PTSD, which of the two do you take seriously? You know, right? Mm -hmm. you, you automatically go, oh my gosh, PTSD. And so I think we have to be careful. We have to be careful with that, with the terminology. And then we have to recognize the signs. You know, what are those, those signs of PTSD, which is repetitive messaging, repetitive memories, which is re-experiencing things, which is sleep disturbance. I mean, there's so many things that are related to it. Right which you're, you're having nightmares about it. You wake up and you think things are real, that you're re-experiencing them again and again. I mean, there's real specific, which is very different than standard trauma that is gonna lead to, probably all of us have had some sleep disturbance. Probably sure. all of us have gained the COVID-19 pounds or whatever it is, so you know, sorry. That's my dad <laughs> joke. That's my dad joke I've been using, the COVID-19 pounds, you know, so. Sorry, you can steal it if you want, um, but anyway. You know, so we have these normal reactions. Well, PTSD is taking it another step. And so for people that have been through um, sustained violence, you know, people in the military, very few of them come out without some symptomology related to PTSD when they've been in violent situations because they have those repetitive images that they're experiencing. Not everybody is going to experience full PTSD. And those that do, it's, it's very... It's very painful and very difficult, and it has to be attended to. One of the most important things you can do is to work with someone who understands the difference. Mm -hmm. It isn't going to just quickly, you know, you don't want, you don't want some, a friend to go, well, you have PTSD. No, right. I mean, you want to actually sort through the complexities of trauma and PTSD and understand truly what it is that you're experiencing before you go down that path of kind of making it more painful for yourself when you tell yourself you're experiencing something that maybe you aren't. That's like right. you sprain your ankle and someone says, I don't think your ankle is sprained. I think your whole leg is shattered in 20 places. Mm -hmm. And so you're all of a sudden you went from an ankle sprain to, oh my gosh, my leg is shattered in 20 places. And now you're not going to walk on your leg because it's shattered right. in 20 places. Right. So we need to understand what exactly is occurring. I appreciate that perspective. Um, one of the things that I try to teach my clinicians is not to jump to a diagnostic too early. And I think we throw, you know, those types of acronyms around as well very easily. That was one of the questions that came to me the other day when I was doing the, um, well, I guess it was after the 
um, podcast that I had around this is that how, how do we deal with this PTSD culture? And I said, I don't know if that's the truth. You know, um, I don't think we're all experiencing that at the same level. And to have that as a culture is kind of a large jump. Um, and I think from experiencing trauma to having a diagnosis is two different things. Yeah. Well, sadly, there's been several articles written about how we're all feeling experiencing PTSD. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I want to write back and say, no, we're all feeling trauma. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. we're all, not everyone, but we're all to some degree experiencing some level of trauma and that you've, you've ratcheted up kind of the intensity by saying that, that we're all in this PTSD mode. So, Right. I think that when uh, we are experiencing trauma, we want to have something to name so that we know it, it feels like we have we can understand it better. And I think that's maybe why we jump to those larger labels. Uh, it makes us feel safer. <laughs> so, what else about the connection between trauma and addiction? What do you? What else do you have to say about it? Well, I think a lot of the research does play out that a significant number of people who struggle with substance use disorders have a background in trauma. Mm-hmm. And I think you've seen that in your experience. I've certainly seen it. In, and I like what you said a little bit ago, Lori, when you said whether people know it or not, mm-hmm. um, because so many people don't define what they've experienced as trauma. They define that as normal. <laughs> right, right. That's just their normal everyday life. And you're listening to it. I know I've listened to it before. I've gone, that sounds awful. And they're like, well, that's what I was used to. I was used to not having any food or I was used to nobody being there to take care of us. And I was, and you're just like, wow, that sounds like you feel like you had much safety and security at home. Mm-hmm. And not that I want to place trauma on someone else, but that when you listen to it, you, you know that there's more there, more there than what people are, are understanding. So I think that there has been, I think, a really strong link established through research over the years between trauma reactions and substance use and other addictive behaviors mm-hmm. that people respond and use those other the other behaviors as, along with substances to cope to cope and manage the feelings because they're effective see that's the thing about substances and other things is they work and so it's very hard to argue against when someone says well if i just smoke a bunch smoke a bunch of pot i don't really care anymore i'm not anxious i feel better yep. it's a hard argument right it's like i get it but is that the long-term goal? Is that your long-term plan? How are you going to function over time? But, but in, and also the truth of that, they work for a period of time and then they stop working and then we have to up our game to find another way to do it. So That's right. you know, af, at, after a while, we just can't, you know, we're just feeling um, numb and, and not feeling. And so it doesn't really end. And, and or we're getting sick and having other problems that impact us and, so it, after a while, it doesn't work. Um, oh, you know, I mean, tolerance, to- tolerance isn't just about physical tolerance. It's yes. about mental, emotional tolerance. And there's no yeah. doubt. I mean, marijuana is a great example of that because very few people that become, have a problem with marijuana use the same amount that they used when they started. Right. right? I mean, they're not, they're not just smoking an occasional this or that. They've ratcheted it up and they mm-hmm. now maybe they're waking bakers. You know, they get up in the morning and they start smoking and they smoke all day or maybe they smoke six times a day or whatever. I mean, same thing with prescription drugs, alcohol, pretty much anything, anything that's being used. And I see it with sexual behaviors. I see it with Mm -hmm. spending and eating and gambling and all of those things. 
I mean, I, I have people now that are struggling with gambling behaviors through buying various lottery tickets and through finding different ways to get some sort of spark of hope. Maybe mm -hmm. these 20 scratch offs that I just bought for $1,000 will be the thing I need. Mm -hmm. right? And I'm going to get my momentary time away. I'm going to get my relief from the pain as I'm going through these tickets. Yep. Right? So I think we know that people look for a way to heal and manage trauma. And oftentimes we use the most quick, effective way to do it, which long term isn't going to work. But in the short term, I get it. You know, there's the reason why people are saying it's wine o'clock. Right? I mean, how many often have we how, how often have we heard that, or all the memes that are around about drinking wine or, or drinking alcohol or whatever? And, and by and large, most people can drink alcohol just fine. I get it, but if you're already a person who has a tendency, or you have a history or background, and you find yourself, you know, starting to drink or returning to drinking, you're you're at risk. There's a real possibility that this could be very destructive for you and for your family. So what would you say to, you know, those people that are listening on what to do if you've have trauma and, and aren't really finding ways of coping well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's complicated. Uh, the first thing you have to do is embrace and experience and be okay with recognizing and accepting that what you're going through is normal. And what you're going through is okay. Now that doesn't comfort you. Oh, great. Thanks. It's normal, but I still feel <laughs> terrible. All right. So, but you do that. And then you reach out, you ask for help, you ask for support, you talk about it. It's an amazing thing when we talk about how we're feeling with people we trust and with people that are safe. So we have to surround ourselves or find people that we can talk to and experience what we're going through with them and kind of commiserate and share in our experiences and everything else and find support from that. I think talking at times to a professional, talking to a therapist, um, we're not all terrible people, you know, we're not, mm -hmm. we're not gonna shrink people's heads or create more problems, we, we're here to help. And we've written, there's a lot of people out there. I mean, the council is an amazing resource for people who are struggling and you're looking for help and looking for hope. They will find a way, you guys will find a way to get somebody in. What, one of my favorite parts of the council is you guys don't turn anybody away. Right. And so there's always, so there's, there's help out there to be had. The help hasn't gone away. Mm -hmm. it's, it's adjusted. We've had to make some changes. We've had to become creative, but it's not gone. You have to just ask. And, and, and there are people in your lives that if you let them know how you're feeling, they'll help you utilize that help. Absolutely. Well, I so appreciate your time today and your expertise on uh, trauma and addiction. John, you are a gift to the community, and I'm so happy that you agreed to come on and chat with me. Well, thank you very much. That, that's a very nice thing to say. <laughs> I think people would argue that maybe not a gift, but uh, yeah, I appreciate it. So. Well, I'll argue with them. I'll let All them right. know. <laughs> well, thank, thank you, you again, again for having me. I appreciate it. This podcast is sponsored by the Council on Recovery, Houston's largest nonprofit provider of prevention, education, outpatient treatment, and recovery services. For more information on the Council's work, you can visit www.councilonrecovery.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you or your loved one needs help with an addiction or co-occurring disorder, call 713-914-0556 to schedule a screening or assessment. 
you know someone who needs us.